Hello everybody, welcome to the mailbag. It's that time again when Andy Brassel has a deep dive into the bag of mail to answer your questions, ladies and gentlemen, that you've kindly submitted to us and we very much appreciate them. My name is Marcus Christopher Speller and that's Andy Joseph Brassel over there. Joseph. <laughs> I had a guess. <laughs> I had Old Testament vibes on the mind, Andy. Yeah, well, I am sitting here in my Technicolor dream coat, aren't I? So. <laughs> what, what is your middle name? Uh, James. Ah, oh, I got the right initial as well. But you so, can call me Hannes. <laughs> so near and yet so far. But what I love is we always learn something, just a little something more about you every week, Andy. We do, don't we? Oh, and yes. that's that's how it will remain, a little something every week. <laughs> Stay tuned next week to where we may potentially find out Andy's BMI. Uh, but until then, we're going to crack on with some questions. <laughs> that would be a very impressive BMI, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you. Uh, let's begin with a little bit more uh, of a lighthearted one from Joey, who says there's some excitement in the Netherlands over Robin returning to Grongeningen, and it got me thinking, what have been the most and least successful uh, returns from players coming out of retirement, and I thought that's a that's a nice question. I think we're all looking forward to seeing what Robin's going to do. Although him coming out of retirement, you know he's still got it. Well, you say that, but the way it was presented, Marcus, was a little tentative, wasn't it? Mm. He said, "I'm going to try a comeback." He didn't say, "I'm going to make a comeback." And I'm definitely playing next season. He said, I'm going to see how it goes, which I think in the light of previous comebacks is not an unreasonable thing to do. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's such a rare situation, but when we have seen it in the past, it has been a sort of mixed success. You think of one of the greatest, Johan Cruyff is perhaps the most obvious one. Um, going back to the late 70s. I mean, what was it, 78 that he originally retired and then he lost all his money pig farming and was forced to come back and play again, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, so he ended up playing um, in the States, um, ended up at Levante, which was weird. Then Ajax again, which appeared a little more natural. And then, of course, the final act of Johan's Cruyff's career was when uh, he fell out with Ajax and joined Feyenoord out of spite. And I think there should be more of that, a, a spiteful <laughs> final move in, in, in a player's career. I'm just, you know, just wondering, uh, could Sheffield United annoy Neil Warnock enough that he'd like get Sheffield Wednesday promoted? Yes, definitely. That, 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 that can definitely happen. That that would be something, and that would be you know that same sort of wheelhouse as as, mm. as Cruyff was was doing. But yeah. I think you think of like I guess you think of the the most successful ones being Paul Scholes, who yeah. looked like he he was still good. But then again, the question is, was that successful because it really pushed Paul Pogba out of the club and made his mind up that he didn't want to stay at United. And they ended up paying a world record transfer fee to get him back a few years <laughs> after that. So it's it it quite a costly move. The most costly move in um, youth development since Alan Shearer went for that trial at Newcastle and they stuck him in goal <laughs> when he was a kid. Um, I, I guess the, 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 the big one in, 
in, in the world stage is is, is is got to be Roger Miller, hasn't it? Because oh, he, now you're talking. Well, he'd been winding his career down when it got to the 1990 World Cup. The 1990 World Cup, at which he was 38, ladies and gentlemen, just to, to, to reiterate officially, that. Officially 38. Well, unofficially 25. Uh, mm, no, because he'd probably be older. <laughs> yeah, I'm joking. See what yeah. I mean? Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it obviously had a very um, long and, and, and distinguished career in France, notably for for Montpellier and Saint Etienne. Um, and um, yeah, he was he was he was winding down. You, you think? Do you remember at, where he at, was? At that point, he was. He was he was either in La Réunion or Madagascar. He was in the Reunion Islands, yeah. Uh, La Reunion, right? Okay. Um, yeah. And right, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, so they they brought him out of cold storage, and uh, thanks in no small part to Rene Aguita. <laughs> cold storage. <laughs> How else would you describe it? <laughs> well, it would be very warm storage on uh, La Reunion Island, wouldn't it? Yeah, possibly. I get the impression he was quite chilled during that period, though. Ah, uh, he went there um, in 1989, so it wasn't. It wasn't like he retired or or, or went out there like, at, you know, in in at the end of the season leading up to the World Cup. It was a year before. Yeah, that's that's right. So um, yeah, he ended up getting called up for um, Cameroon for for the, for the World Cup in in Italy in 1990. I guess for experience as, as much as anything else. In fact, if you want to read more about uh, Roger Miller's story, I would strongly recommend um, World in Motion by Simon Hart, terrific mm. writer and journalist. And that's all about the 1990 World Cup and, and not just England and, and West Germany and Argentina, but all the other stories yeah. around some of, the, some of the characters, including you know some of the Costa Ricans, or though you might not want to mention that to your Scottish mates, obviously, Marcus. Um, it's, 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 it's a brilliant book. Ach, indeed. It's, it's, it's a brilliant book. Um, and it's, it's got a big chunk on, on Roger Miller as well. And um, yeah, like I said, I think uh, Rene Aguita deserves a little bit of a hat tip and assist for the legend of Miller in, in that tournament. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I, I think the, the fact that it's so rare just goes to show that um, when, when you pack it in, it's super hard to come back. Super hard to come back. I mean, yeah. you know, the amount the, 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 the of players... Oh, I think, yeah. I think years ago, it would have been easier, of course, as um, less physical demands. But now, oh, my giddy aunt. I, I, I suppose it depends on... On, on, on how you you keep yourself really doesn't it because I, I think there are there are some players who would still train extremely hard and I, I've, I've said this time and again but um whenever I've done those legends matches that around champions league finals mm. um Cafu is by far the best player there he's 50 now yeah. and it, he mm. looks like he could still play yeah I, I mean he's he's always by far the best player involved in that so um there are other players who when when they stop i imagine they they wouldn't want to lift a finger anymore you know maybe they feel quite liberated from the the, the fitness and dietary regime i mean i remember speaking to um, john amici very successful um british basketball player about this some years ago and he said since he's retired he's not looked at at chicken or broccoli because he ate chicken and broccoli (laughs) every day for like yeah. nine years yeah. so uh, but 
you know, I think especially with the increased physical regime of top level football nowadays, I think you've got a really good point, Marcus, because um, I remember speaking to one footballer after he packed it in, he, he didn't do anything for a couple of months and mm-hmm. him saying um, he started to get these heart palpitations and um, he went um, to see a heart specialist, explained his background and they said, well, how, how long since you've retired? And he went, well, four months. And uh, the doctor went, well, what, what have you done since then? He said, nothing. And he said, well, yeah. that's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah. You know, you, you can't do nothing because your body is expecting yeah. something. So um, maybe... You've got to ease off the gas. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe we could see even more of these comebacks in, in years to come. I mean, Iron Robin, I, I do sense there's been a little bit of oxygen tent in keeping him going so many years uh, at Bayern. <laughs> and the, the, the fact that he's mastered this regime that involves so much extra stuff, like um, his own yoga, his own personal training, and that's something that Jermaine Defoe did more and more in the latter years of his career, obviously. Um, he was doing an hour and a half of core work before training in his last spell at Tottenham. And he was doing yoga as well. He went vegan a little bit further down the line. I mean, he's clearly keen to dredge every last drop out of it. And I bet you when Defoe retires, he'll come back three months later. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think no, there's any yeah. doubt about that because he's, he's someone yeah. who's clearly absolutely addicted to football. But I, I do yeah. wonder if it will be more possible in the, in, in the modern world simply because the base level of fitness is is so much higher and maybe your body won't let you drop below that. Quite possibly. Because around this time of recording, um, Njegnieri Yaya Torre has been training with Leighton Orient. So we'll have to uh, see what happens there. Come a division up. Come to AFC Wimbledon. Come on. Come on. Yeah, that's that's definitely what AFC needs. Helt underbart. Och den här Roger Milla är ju en av turneringens absoluta kungar. Det är han som fixar straffen. Och det är han som... Tyler says this. I know Andy has previously talked about how much of a quagmire the Spanish leagues are below the second tier. But Deportivo have been relegated. I'm curious to know how quickly they can bounce back. What on earth happened to them? Weren't they just fighting Mallorca for the playoff last season? Well, yes, um, eagle-eared listeners. I'm not sure if that's a thing, uh, eagle-eared <laughs> listeners. Um, but but <laughs> listeners who are paying attention will um, be aware that um, I did one of my at-the-matches last summer at the second leg of the mm. uh, Mallorca Deportivo game. Oh, and yeah. um, so that, uh, Deportivo 2 nil up from the first leg. You can't Easy get much peasy. better at yeah, well, you can't get much better of a first leg result than that, can you? Um, so anyway, they end up losing the second leg 3-0 on Mallorca, the game that I was at, and the atmosphere was really special. I would um, strongly recommend, if you've not heard it, you go back on the on the Ramble feed. You know, you can wind on the bits that I'm on, that's fine. But but the atmosphere is astonishing out there at, at Somrosh, and um, it was something that was really difficult for Deportivo to, to get over because they had, as they would say, in Spain, a foot and a half in back in the top division. Yeah. And, you know, they've just become since, we know they're a long way from Super Depot that won the league in 2000 and World Europe um, in the early part of the 21st century. Um, but still, having become this this yo-yo club, 
part of being a yo-yo club is you expect to come back at some point. And yeah. um, dealing with that second season in uh, the Segunda was something they found very, very difficult to, 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 to cope with. Um, so I think you, you look at that and um, it was really reflected in the in, in, in the start to this season. Obviously, they lost a couple of players, but still the squad they've got shouldn't have been in, in, in the bottom third of the Segunda. Um, but they started so poorly this season and they looked absolutely doomed before Christmas. Mm. Um, then um, you've got Fernando Vasquez coming, coming back and, and, and taking over for a second spell just before New Year. And around spring, they really motored. And, and by the time we had the coronavirus enforced break, it looked as if they'd done the hard bit and they were safe. I, I suppose it's a little bit like Watford, really. You know, after they had that initial bump under Nigel yeah. Pearson, you thought they're safe. And maybe that leads to a bit of mental switching off or, or, or whatever. Um, but such a poor end to the season. Um, by Deportivo La Coruña, of course, at, at the time of recording, and I suspect for a long time after recording, um, their final match of the season has not taken place, and it, I, I don't think it will take place for a while. If, if indeed it, it, it does take place, um, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Because, of course, um, for those who aren't aware, on the final day of uh, the Segunda season, which was the day after the final day of the La Liga season. All the matches due to kick off at, at the same time as is, is, is fair and ethical, except um, a few hours before kickoff, Deportivo's game against Fuenlabrada, who were ch- chasing the playoffs, um, team from Madrid, uh, was called off because there was a huge outbreak of COVID-19 in the Fuenlabrada camp um, due to, it seems, um, Fuenlabrada... Um, breaching the protocol. Um, anyway, what um, La Liga decided is that the Segunda games would go ahead. And for a long while in that game, in in that um, in that scenario, it looked as if um, that Deportivo would still be able to pick up the game with Fuenla with a chance of winning and getting out of the bottom four. But with Albacete getting their late winner, late, late winner uh, at Cadiz, which led to Cadiz, who were already promoted and ended up second rather than champions. Um, it, it meant that there was there was no chance for Depor to get out of it. So whereas Fuenla could still get in the playoffs, if if, if they were to, to get a result when the Depor game is 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 um, rescheduled, um, playing the game makes absolutely no difference to Depor and they're in, they're in the Segunda Bay Um Whatever, as as Tyler says, as for getting out of it, so 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 complicated. I mean, the the amount of teams involved in the Segunda uh, overall, it's, it's what like a, it's it's eighty. I mean, yeah. oh yeah, it's quite, yeah, you know, yeah. you know they're four parallel groups, so getting promoted. Is not uh, there's a finishing top, sorry, is not a guarantee of getting promoted, which is a very, very difficult way of um, going into a season. It's um, a, a different type of football as well because it's, it's non professional, uh, just like in Germany, only the top two divisions are professional. Um, so I think it'll be really tough. The thing that Depp or do have in their favor is um, they were running a massive 
debt for years. Now, you, you might be aware of a man called Augusto Lendoido, who was their president during the glory years. Now, he was never a, a billionaire that we associate with football clubs going from zero to hero nowadays who came in and splashed loads of money around he was um, a local sports administrator who'd been so since he was a teenager always ambitious to do something big and ended up being uh, president of Deportivo La Coruña very very good at getting other people to invest and part with their money and so even if, if we go before the bit where Depor were, were champions or even nearly champions even before that, they had Bebeto, they had Rivaldo before he went off to, 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 to Barcelona. Yeah. So, you know, they spent some proper money. But if you look at the size of La Coruña as a city, is what, 200,000 people? And I think the last club to win the title before them with less with a population of less than 200,000 or 250,000 would probably have been Real Sociedad in the 80s. In, in San yeah. Sebastian. So it's, it's something that, that there's a limit to how big they could grow. So at one point when it was going brilliantly, they were getting 30,000 in the stadium, but what they're going to do, expand it. There's just not enough people mm. in the city really to make it worthwhile. And if you look at uh, La Coruña geographically, is right out there in the Northwest corner, like way away from the, the rest of Spain. I mean, you may remember Diego Tristan who, um, ended up playing for West Ham briefly. I mean, they all end up playing for West Ham briefly footballers, oh, don't yeah, they? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's just it's just a given at the end of your yeah. career. You've had but, a sub appearance for the Mandy. Uh, East Ham, yes. West Ham, no. Ah, okay. But uh, Diego Tristan was such a talented goal scorer with mm-hmm. with them. Um, but he found it quite hard on the personal level because he was Andalusian, and mm-hmm. um, th- th- there were a lot more. Um, circumspect and closed generally the, the the people up there and he, he was he was a party guy and it really stood out there um, because he was from a different background um, a different sort of uh, social circle really because uh, there, there was a point in in, in the late 90s where um, Real Madrid were, were were interested in him and a couple of the directors came to see him and said no he's, uh, he's, he's a bit too wild off the field for us and it, Tristan famously said, well, depends if you're looking for a footballer or a monk to sign, doesn't it, really? <laughs> Which I, I, I think is fair enough. But um, I, I think that the isolation of La Carina is, is, is something that could not be overlooked. And that, they're running this enormous debt under Lendoido. At one point, it was up to like 200 million. And that's where you get from the point where they're almost in the Champions League final only mm-hmm. prevented from being so in 2004 by the, uh, the the peak dark arts of Mourinho. And um, then the fact that they fall into um, struggling in the bottom part of the table, they turn into this kind of Sunderland or Aston Villa when they're tra- trapped in the bottom third purgatory of the league and you know they're going to go eventually and eventually they do and they become this yo-yo club. The good thing that happened for them halfway through this season just gone is that... Um, they got taken over by a banker, which is um, the, the the regional savings bank of um, that part of Galicia. So uh, that, that what that means is, whereas a lot of clubs going out of Segunda A would be an absolute disaster. And on a sporting level, it's a mess, obviously. It's a far from ideal situation. But what it means is they're backed by an institution, so they're not going to fold 
or anything like that, which is a really big deal. Also, the debt is a lot smaller than it, it used to be because if you go back a couple of months, um, they converted half of their debt in about like February or March. They converted half of Deportivo's uh, debt from debt into shares um, to, to expand their, their their holding in the in, in the club. So the debt's come down to a more manageable level. I think it's around 30, 35 million now. Um, so hopefully for them, they'll be able to make it back. And, you know, we have seen teams get in a roll. Uh, you know, we, we saw it with Mallorca going from uh, the Segunda Bay to the top flight in successive promotions. If you look at Granada, who've just qualified for Europe, that's what they did um, when when they first came up to the top flight. Um, what, in, what was it? 2011, I think. Uh, so in, in recent times, anyway, the first time they came up in, in, in recent times. So it can be done, but having a big stadium and slightly bigger resources, even with that, it's not given. Yeah. I think um, we've talked about several two previously, as, uh, as young Tyler said, but the one thing I would just like to say, harking back to that time when they were spending lots of cash and mm. one could say cheating in a weird sort of way, but some clubs, how many times have we seen clubs spend way too much money? Leeds United are an example, and suddenly it all comes crashing down. At least Deportivo won the bloody league. At least they did that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Some of the some clubs. I know Leeds will fans will look fondly back at you know results against sort of Barcelona and Milan and whatnot. And absolutely, and those memories should be cherished. And you know they got very close to the Champions League final, like Deportivo. But Deportivo, it's the only time in their history that they've won the league, and realistically, probably will will be the only time ever, unless they do have some ridiculous wealth come in, and then there's the problem again. They also won the Copa del Rey around that time, so I know it's a, it's a murky business, and one shouldn't uh, champion. Uh, naughty spending let's call it uh, but for those fans at least they did <laughs> at least they did at least they did win the league um excellent well uh let's let's finish with this one with uh, from mason who says he was talking on uh, another channel and he got into a chat about kakar versus manchester united 2007 uh, as mason says which for me is one of the best individual performances i've seen in the champions league if you don't remember that was when uh, milan went away um to Old Trafford. I think they won 3-2 on the night and, and Kaka scored a couple of lovely goals. And you know when a player scores two good goals in in fairly um, in a fairly short space of time between each one, it does feel like they've just suddenly decided, no, this is what's happening and this is the narrative of the game. So it was very much like that. Um, but Mason says, what other examples are there of a single player destroying an English team in the Champions League over the years? The obvious one uh, has to be Messi in 2010 against Arsenal. And yeah. I think what makes that such a striking one is because um, people were still having the discussion in 2009. And I know this has been kind of airbrushed from history, <laughs> but uh, people were still having the discussion. Well, can Messi really be the greatest if he, if he can't pull it out of the bag against English teams? It's, it's weird, isn't it? It, it? it feels weird that that's in the same lifetime as we are currently living now, that people were having that discussion. 
It does, um, but it was a long time ago. I think I think that I do get that, and I do think some people can be a bit stupid and say, "Well, if they don't do it in the Premier League, therefore, because it's Premier League centric." But but I do think that there, there might be an element for some football fans who there's so much football to consume, and I know that you can watch football from all around the world and so on. But there is a lot to consume, and and the Premier League is one of those leagues where everybody. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people watch other teams and other matches as well, not just an interest in their own. And so if they haven't seen Messi come to town and do it, they, they, I think it's slightly understandable that someone says, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's good, but I've never seen him do it. It's lazy, but I, I slightly, I, I can slightly understand. You know what? I'm not having that, actually, Marcus, because oh, well, you're not. We're, we're, we're not talking about someone who's, um, <laughs> you know, a connoisseur's choice, like a... Juan Carlos Valoron, if we're going back to the Deportivo example. Hey, that was going to be my example when they, they took Arsenal apart, Highbury 2-0. Ha-ha, stolen. But, um, you know, Messi's Messi. Come on. And yeah. everyone knew that. Even, even, even at those those times. And even if you saw a few Champions League highlights, I mean, come on. You know, you come know on. that he is absolutely huge. And he's someone who'd been, you know incredibly influential for Barcelona for for a few years by by this point, even if 2008, 2009 was the first Pep Guardiola years. And I know that certain people will only count Barcelona from 2008 and Pep Guardiola, just as some people only count football in um, the UK from 1992. Um, but yeah, yeah, this idea that... You know, Messi hadn't hadn't proved himself until he scored against the Premier League team. I mean, it was a statistical anomaly and one which obviously really annoyed him because he yeah. he, he answered it with extreme prejudice in the in, in the years <laughs> to follow that. Well, in two thousand and nine, to be fair, they won a load of trophies, uh, including the Champions League final, in which he, he scored a header and I attended. So, yeah, okay, I'm 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 being far too generous there, but um, yeah, so I think we'll just move on swiftly from that. Uh, any other examples, Andy, that leap to mind? So, are we are we talking just Champions League? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the reason for it being just Champions League. I mean, you, I'm sure you can toss in some Europa League if you want, but it was what other examples are there of a single player destroying an English team in the Champions League over the years? So I, I, I'm sure Mason won't hold it against you. Uh, well, I, th- I think you... I, th- I think if, if we're going to pick more recently, I don't want to lean on Barcelona again, but maybe we're going to have to. Um, I think we, we would want to look more recently at both Messi and Artur, who's, you talk about like living in a Premier League bubble. Well, I think Artur had the opposite problem to early Messi, being maybe overrated by English supporters for that incredible performance that he gave in tandem with Messi when they beat Spurs 4-2 at Wembley in the the Champions League uh, the the season before last. I I think that's that's another one really, isn't it? Um, I think for a a slightly... Serge Gnabry, that's 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 an excellent one. I was I was going to have Vissam Ben Yedder actually. Oh, at, of course you were. At Old Trafford. Oh, Andy, that is the, that is quintessential Brassel there, vintage Brassel stuff. You, you, th- you think I you think I can't go any more Andalusia than that, don't you? Well, allow yeah. me to retort. <laughs> Two thousand and six, um, UEFA Cup final, mm. Middlesbrough nil, Sevilla four. 
Oof. So Enzo Maresca, Enzo Maresca, what a game he had that day. And Luis Fabiano, oh. who scored that opening goal. Oh. Fabuloso, what a centre <laughs> forward he was. Oh my goodness. Yeah, he, he was um, the starting striker. I remember going into the 2010 World Cup, he was Brazil's starting striker. And I thought, he looks the absolute business. Um, I mean, I, I can't remember if or however many goals he scored at that tournament. But you're right, there was a period of time. He's one of those players, as you say, in European football, who maybe has just a few years where he's absolutely brilliant and then he's off again. And you think, yeah. oh, yeah, I remember that guy. He was decent, wasn't he? Well, I think the thing that really got me about uh, about Fabiano is like he had not one failed move to Europe before that. I mean, that that can happen to any young player or any any, any a, yeah. a Brazilian or, or any other sort. Um, but two really failed moves to to Europe. He went to Rennes, hated it. Then went to Porto, and that was pretty miserable as well. So I think in Sevilla is his absolute last chance, and what a player he was! Great finisher, really pugnacious, like the odd scrap when it wasn't going his way as well. So many good things about him. Um, I when I was in Brazil for the World Cup in um, twenty fourteen. I stayed in his um, home city of Campinas. And um, yeah, every stake I tucked into, I thought of him. I mean, we, 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 did, we did have a favourite Rodizio, me and my colleagues there. Oh, I bet you bloody did. Uh, they, they, they reserved us a specific table. Um, uh, and yeah, it was, it, was, it was a beautiful time. And I always thought of, uh, of Fabuloso while I was uh, tucking into chicken hearts and the like. We always finish talking about Brazilian Rodizios, don't we? Well, we should do. I think that yeah. should be a rule. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a how to get there. From the first question <laughs> all the way, how do you get from Iron Robin returning to the Netherlands to finishing with Brazilian barbecues? We manage it every week, ladies and gentlemen. We manage it every week. Um, I think there. Yeah, I think we'll finish there with the mailbag. I think it's been a lovely old time. And, uh, and and we appreciate your questions. You know, as as always, get them in. We 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 and specifically Andy live for your questions. He's got a family as well, so I don't want to over egg it, but he bloody loves them. Um, but uh, but it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. We we uh, we uh, you know I can't wait for this pandemic to end for obvious reasons. But when it does, everybody, we'll see you in the Rodizio in Putney. Some pace to the occasion again. Luis Fabiano in the middle. Kakas made a late run. Luis Fabiano's onside and will score a second. Pace and poise by that Brazilian attack. All three of their stars involved. Fabinho Kaká and finished by Luis Fabiano. This was a Stakhanov production.